Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, letting me be away. I was just thinking this morning as I got up and was kind of getting excited about being back. I love my church. I love you. Uh, thank you for letting me have some much, much needed time off. I am uh, tanned and rested and relaxed, relaxed and refreshed and ready to go. And uh, just turn to somebody right now and say, man, I'm glad he's back. Would you just do that? Just make me feel good, okay? I really am glad to be back with you. It is such a joy to be with you. I want to thank Mike, Chad, John Welburn, who did such a great job, all the staff who took care of things while I was gone. Thanks to everybody. Some of the world's major religions have a symbol that's pretty recognizable, and it illustrates the central features of what they believe. In fact, when you see the symbol, what you're getting is a visual commentary about the heart of their religion, about what they really believe. For example, Buddhism is symbolized by the lotus flower. And um, let, let me tell you why, it's kind of interesting. I didn't know this, but the lotus flower has a life cycle unlike any other flower. It is a flower that's actually rooted in mud. And every night it submerges into this murky river water and then somehow the next morning it reblooms and there's no mud on its petals. It's kind of reborn. And that wheel-shaped flower depicts the central belief of Buddhism, which is they believe that we're in this endless cycle of life and death and reincarnation. So you're born, you live, you die, and then based on the quality of your life, it depends on how you come back. Judaism is symbolized by the Star of David. And this speaks of the covenant that God made with David that one day a Messiah would descend, he would come, and he would become the king of Israel, and he would rule over the universe forever. And then, of course, Islam is symbolized by the star and the crescent. And um, that symbol actually predates the religion uh, that, it would be, that it was adopted uh, because in ancient times, it was a symbol of sovereignty and of power. But the most ubiquitous and the most universally recognized symbol of any faith is the symbol of Christianity, which is just a simple cross. However, there's a big difference between the symbol of Christianity and every other religion, religious symbol and every other symbol of religious faith. And here's the difference. The cross is not just a symbol of the Christian faith. It is the secret of the Christian life. It is really what Christianity is all about. And yet, as I think about the cross, I think it may be the most misunderstood, misappreciated religious symbol in all of the world. And I think that for two reasons. First of all, you won't walk down the street almost anywhere, any place in the world that you won't find somebody wearing a cross. Anybody wears a cross, everybody wears a cross. Athletes wear them, rock stars, somebody's, nobody's, anybody. Doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not, doesn't mean whether they believe in God or not. They, they'll, they'll wear a cross because many people see the cross as just a symbol of general goodwill and acceptance. And it's seen as an ancient symbol that you can combine with your own personality, your own spiritual religion. So people say, hey, you don't have a monopoly on the cross. If I want to wear a cross, I'll wear a cross. And so I realize, number one, that it's really misunderstood. But then there's another reason, and that is you really can't find anybody today 
that says anything negative about the cross. And you may sit there and wonder, well, why would you? Why would you say anything negative about the cross? Well, let me take you back 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago, the cross was not something that you admired. It is not something that you would put in your house. It's not something that you would wear around your neck or wear in a bracelet. It's not something you'd put out in public for other people to see. <clears throat> because back in the day when the cross, as we know it, was even prevalent, it was considered obscene. It was considered despised. Uh, as a matter of fact, to the Romans, the cross was so despicable that Cicero, the Republican orator, said this, he said, even the mere word cross must remain far, not only from the lips of the citizens of Rome, but also from their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. In other words, they said, they would even teach their kids, don't use that word in public, it's a dirty word. To the Jews, crucifixion was the same thing as hanging, and the Old Testament taught that if you were hung, you were under the curse of God. To the Greeks, they were kind of philosophers, they were intellectuals, the cross was nonsense. The cross was foolish. So back in the day, people would have never thought about hanging a cross around their neck. They, they would never think about displaying the cross. They wouldn't even talk about the cross. And yet, in, in, in all of that culture, there was this one great exception. And it was the early church. And from the very beginning of the early church, they had a totally different viewpoint. And that viewpoint was led by a Jewish Pharisee whose name was Paul. Now, if you're here for the first time or not been here for a while, we are concluding actually a series that we've been doing in the book of Galatians that we've been calling Free at Last. And what Paul has been saying for six chapters over and over and over basically is this. The cross is such a beautiful thing because it delivers everyone who comes to the cross from two things, the burden of sin and the, and, and the bondage of religion. Because if you don't like religion, if you think religion is a problem, if you think religion does more harm than it does good, you ought to read the book of Galatians because what Paul basically says is, not only are you right, not only do I really agree with you, but Christianity is not a religion. And the one thing that tells us it's not a religion is the cross. And so he's coming to the end of this book and he drops this jaw-dropping, breathtaking statement. He makes it 2,000 years ago. And when you understand the background of the cross and the history of the cross, you realize why when people read these words for the first time, people outside the church and even some people inside the church, they really couldn't believe it. Because let me go back and remind you, while the entire world wanted to put the cross in the back of the closet, shut the door, lock it, and throw away the key, Paul said, oh no, we don't do that as Christians. We don't do that as a church. As a matter of fact, we want the cross front and center. I want to shine a spotlight on the cross. I want to put the cross up on a pedestal. I want to brag about the cross. Now, just stop and think about this for a minute. If you don't know who Paul was, let me just remind you. If anybody had a right to brag on who they were, and if anybody had a right to brag on what they had done, it certainly was the man by the name of Paul. I mean, take your pick. Greatest preacher in the world, check. Greatest missionary in the church, check. Greatest apologist of all time, check. Greatest theologian the world's ever seen, check. Greatest religious author of the New Testament, check. 
I mean, if anybody could have walked around and said, would you like my autograph? It would have been Paul. And yet Paul looked at the cross. He looks at this cross and he makes this incredible statement. Listen to this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, let me just kind of bring this up to, to the 21st century. What would you think if, if I'd walked in here today with this big gold chain around my neck and at the bottom of that chain was an electric chair? Or what would you think if, if, if uh, Teresa walks in here uh, today and she's wearing this bracelet and, and it's a bracelet of people with, a, uh, with guns in their hand. It's a firing squad. Or, or what would you think if, if, if I came in here uh, and, and I had a chain on my neck and I had an atomic bomb on the bottom of my chain? I mean, you know, you'd say, wait a minute. Why, why would you think about bragging about a symbol of execution and a symbol of death? And yet that's exactly what Paul said he did. And that's exactly what Paul said we should do. So here's the question. Why do we put a big cross up here? Why are we saying the cross ought to be front and center? Why am I personally glad that our church is called Cross Point? What is such a big deal about the cross? Well, Paul, in this passage, gives us three tremendous reasons why we ought to forever put the cross front and center. Why the one thing we ought to brag about above and beyond anything else should always be the cross. Let me show you three things. Number one, we should boast about the person who died on the cross. We ought to boast about the person who died on the cross. Now, Paul normally would have been the first person to say, man, look, Nobody ever boast or brag about an instrument that was used to put people to death. I mean, who in their right mind brags about the electric chair? Who in their right mind brags about atomic bombs? Who in their right mind brags about explosives? Who in their right mind brags about a firing squad? Who in their right mind brags about a, a, a cocktail of, of chemicals that would put someone to death? I mean, who would talk about that? And yet Paul says, but I wanna brag about I want to exalt. I want to lift up the cross. And here's why. Because Paul was not talking about an ordinary run-of-the-mill dime a dozen cross. Listen again to what he said. He said, may I never boast except in the cross. But he doesn't stop there. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is mentioned 45 times in this letter. One out of every three verses in the book of Galatians talks about Jesus. See, here's what I want you to understand. It wasn't the cross that captivated Paul. It was the person that died on the cross that dominated Paul. I want you to hear this. It is not the cross that makes Jesus Christ so special. It is Jesus Christ that makes the cross so special. He said, it is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't proud of the cross. He was proud of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's the difference. Every other religion, every other symbol of every other religion points to that religion. So the flower points to Buddhism. The crescent and the star points to Islam. The star of David points to Judaism. But the cross does not point to a philosophy. It points to a person. It doesn't point to a religion. It points to a redeemer. It doesn't point to a belief that you hold in your head. It points to a Lord that you carry in your heart. 30,000 Jews were crucified by the Romans. Jesus was just one of 30,000. 
I mean, a crucified Jew just wasn't that unusual. Here's the difference. On the day that Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just another criminal dying on just another cross for just another crime. Here's the difference. He didn't die for what he did. He died for what we did. He didn't die for his sin. He died for our sin. And what makes this cross, the cross of Christ like no other cross, is who died on it. That's why Paul refers to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses all three words. Lord, what does that mean? He's God. He, 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 he's God in the flesh. Jesus. That refers to the fact he is our Savior. The word Jesus, the name Jesus, comes from the name Joshua, the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Jesus, or God, is salvation. Christ refers to the fact that he was the promised Messiah. So what Paul is saying is the reason why we ought to boast about the cross, the reason why we ought to exalt the cross, the reason why we ought to point to the cross, the reason why we ought to live the cross is because the one that died on that cross was no less than the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of the universe. Of the 30,000 Jews that were crucified that one of all that time, the only one who died for us. The only one who died is God in the flesh. The only one who died is the Jewish Messiah. The only one who died as the Lord of the universe was him. That's why out of all those Jews that were crucified, nobody to this day, nobody can name one other Jew that was crucified except Jesus. Because the other 29,999, they were criminals who died. They died for crimes they at least allegedly committed. Every one of them died in their sin. Every one of them tried to die for their sin. The difference was they could die in their sin. They could die for their crime. They couldn't die for their sin. Jesus came along and said, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to die in my sin because I don't have any. But what I am going to do is die for yours. And that what makes, that's what makes the cross so special. And see, every time you look at the cross... You ought to think about what God has done for you. That cross should always point you to Jesus. That's why the first half of our mission statement is to point people to Jesus. That's why we adopted that. Because when we point people to the cross, we're not pointing people to two pieces of wood that were nailed together that was used to execute criminals. We're pointing people to the person who died, who was nailed to those two pieces of wood, who died for those criminals, who died for us. And that leads us to the second reason why we ought to brag about the cross. Because not only should we brag about the person who died on the cross, because there was one cross that was different. There was one cross that was special. There was one cross unlike any other cross. That's the cross where the Son of God died. That's the cross where the Jewish Messiah died. That's the cross where the Savior of the world died. That's the cross where the Lord of the universe died. But not only should we brag about the person who died on the cross, we should boast about the purpose that was demonstrated in the cross. You say, okay, what's the purpose? Well, one of the disciples named Peter whom you may remember was nearby both before and after the crucifixion. After all this was over, after Jesus had come back from the dead, he made an incredible statement. Here's what Peter said. He said, this man was handed over to you. He was talking to the Pharisees. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, this was not an accident. This was an appointment. 
The reason why Jesus died was because God had a plan and God had a purpose in mind when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He had two purposes in that cross. I'll tell you what they are. Number one, he wanted to demonstrate what real love is all about. Right now, as I'm preaching this message, there's a big question being asked right now. So where was God yesterday? So you say God's a God of love. 29 people shot down, innocent people, just trying to go shopping and just trying to have a good time. 29 people die. And it's not just yesterday, it's every day. People look at the newspaper, they read the magazines, they get on the internet, they watch their television. And what do you see day after day after day? You see earthquakes, you see rapes, you see tsunamis, you see stabbings, you see killings, you see assassinations, and you see bombings over and over and over. And every time it happens, you hear the question, okay, where's the love of God and where is the God of love? It's a legitimate question, but it has a legitimate answer. And the reason why the world, listen to me, the reason why the world can't find the love of God is because they're looking in the wrong place. There's one thing that settled for me a long time ago. I don't care what happens. And I know this is easy me to say this because it hasn't happened. If my family gets wiped out tomorrow, if my grandchildren get shot in a store tomorrow, there's still one thing that for me has settled once and for all that there is a God of love and there is the love of God and it's that thing right there. Discussion's over. Debate's over. The cross tells me God loves me. As a matter of fact, there was another disciple that was named John. Here's what John said. He said, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. How do we know that? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As a matter of fact, Paul, in an earlier, earlier letter he wrote to, to the Christians in Rome, he said this, but God demonstrates, God proves, God is put up, not shut up. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's just, this is a, and by the way, I prepared this weeks and weeks ago. I didn't know that what would happen yesterday was going to happen. So this is in my notes. So pastor, do you know why there's evil in the world? Look at the cross. Do you know what is the evilest thing that's ever been done in the world? Look at the cross. Do you know what God has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt at the cross? Here's what God has proven. In spite of all of the evil and all of the wickedness and all of the shootings and all of the rapes and all of the murders and all of the things that we see that just tear us apart and in spite of the evil done to his own son, he loves this world. See, there are only two options for the human race. There's only two. Only two options for you. Either we have to die in our sins and for our sins or someone has to die in our place for our sins. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. The moment that God allowed his son to die on that cross, God said, you can question a lot of things about me. You can question my wisdom. You can question my knowledge. You can question whether or not I know what I'm doing. That's one thing. But don't you dare question my love. I gave my son for you. 
I've given you an opportunity to be saved from the evil and the wickedness and the sinfulness that we see in this world every single day. But here's what's even more saving. God didn't just demonstrate what real love is all about at the cross. He demonstrated what real life is all about at the cross. Think about this. Jesus died that we might live through him. Jesus died that we might live for him. And Jesus died that we might live with him. And the greatest news that's ever been heard in the history of the world is the gospel, which says that Jesus died on a cross and came back from the dead so that he might come and live in us to live his life through us so that one day he could live eternally with us. So let me just tell you what this cross tells us. This God who brought you into this world, this God who created the world and the stars, and the sun, and the moon, and the galaxies, and the solar system, and the universe. Here's what this God said that day on that cross. I would rather die for you than live without you. So we ought to boast about the person who died on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to boast about the power demonstrated in the cross, the purpose demonstrated in the cross. Jesus died to show us, hey, this is what real love is all about. This is what real life is all about. But there's one last thing. And a lot of times we miss this. Paul said we should boast about the power that's been delivered by the cross. Now listen carefully. I saw this when I was on vacation. I saw this and just, you know, it's amazing. When you get away, it's really good to get away. And it's good to kind of get out from the, from the umbrella of the church and get out of the cocoon. And this is kind of a cocoon. It's good to kind of get out and just kind of get in the real world for a while and, and kind of, you know, see what's going on out there. And, and, and you realize there really is a power that comes to every person who comes to the cross, who trusts the person who died on the cross, who accepts the purpose that was demonstrated in the cross that nobody else has. And it has to do with the world that we live in. And I don't mean the physical world. I mean the moral, I should say the immoral world that we live in. I'm talking about the world of sin and success and wickedness and greed and wealth and gold. And here's what Paul said. The cross has the power to give us victory over that world. So he goes on to say this. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which, and then he says something interesting. The world has been crucified to me. And what did he mean by that? He said that when Jesus Christ died on that cross and when I accept the Jesus that died on that cross, the world has been crucified to me. And here's what, what does that mean? It's an amazing thing. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, God also made sure that the world was crucified on the cross. Now, I don't mean the physical world. I mean the moral world, the ethical world, the philosophical world, the world that's an enemy of God, the world that rejects the authority of God, the world that's turned its back on God. I'm talking about the world of Hollywood fanfare, the world of Wall Street money, the world of Washington power. He said all of that has been crucified to a follower of Jesus. I, I don't say this to be critical. I don't say this to sound super spiritual. But last month I was in Washington, D.C. Some of you may know this. And I was asked to pray for the House of Representatives, which is, I've done that before. And it was really a cool thing. 
And so uh, I'm, I'm walking through, we're walking through with my, con- with my congressman, we're walking through the rotunda, Teresa and I. And I just said to him, I had just said to him, uh, you know, it, it'd be cool to meet Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, would just be a, kind of a cool thing. Doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I just thought it'd kind of be cool. And so I hadn't said that in been 10 seconds. And honest to God, I look up, and as far as being that road right there, here comes Nancy Pelosi. And so Rob, Rob, uh, my cousin Rob Woodall said, uh, hey, let's go meet the speaker. So he walked up. He said, Madam Speaker, he said, uh, this is James Merritt. And, uh, and I said, Madam Speaker, it was, it's an honor to meet you. And, and uh, she stopped, and she said, oh, you were the chaplain for the day. I said, yes, ma'am. And if you heard the prayer, and I don't say this to brag, but I prayed the gospel. I mean, I just, you know me, I'm going to pray the gospel. And so I prayed the name of Jesus, and I prayed people accept, you know, practice the golden rule. And I started out, and I prayed in the name which is above every name. And I, I gave it the Billy Graham best thing I could do while I'm up there, right? I mean, they didn't hire me. They can't fire me. They're going to do shoot me or, you know. So, I mean, I just, I mean, I just, you know, you only get one shot. She looked at me, and she said, I want you to know something. She said, I stopped what I was doing and I listened to your prayer. And she said, I want you to know it was a blessing what you said. Now, I, I say that for this, I don't say that to brag or anything like that, but let me tell you what I saw when I was up there. And I don't mean this to be ugly. I, I, in fact, I want to preface what I'm about to say by telling you this. I'm grateful for people who give their life to public service. Be, being a politician is not easy. I can tell you that right now. Uh, I'm telling you, politicians are like preachers. Half the world hates you sometimes. That's just kind of the way it is. It just goes to the territory. So I'm not saying this to be condescending, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people up there that's just full of themselves. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but I want you to hear me. One of the things that we got to do was so cool. We got to, nope, nope, you just don't get to do, nobody just gets to do this, but we got to go up into the rotunda. Teresa and I and about four others, we got to go all the way up into the rotunda where it's beautiful painting up there. So I'm up there and I'm looking down and I mean, this is the seat of the most powerful place in the world. And I thought to myself, the shadow of the cross hangs over this capital. Jesus Christ is Lord over this capital. Jesus Christ is Lord over this city. Jesus Christ is Lord over this nation. Jesus Christ is Lord over this world. And when you have that perspective, you realize, you know what? All that's been crucified to me. It's dead to me. It doesn't control me. It doesn't dominate me. But then he goes on to say something else. He said, not only has the world been crucified to me, listen to what he says, and I to the world. I've been crucified to the world. And when I read that, I thought, and this thought hit me, and this is the most important thing I'm probably gonna say in this message. Let me tell you the biggest difference and the main difference between a follower of Jesus and a non-follower of Jesus. Here's the difference. We all live in this world. We all go to work in this world. We all live in a house in this world. We all interact with people in this world. We all live in this world. But here's the difference. A follower of Jesus is dead to this world. This world has no say over us. This world has no control over us. We really do march to the beat of a different drum. We really do walk a different path. We really are citizens of another world. And that's why the cross is the one place 
you can go and you can lay at its feet all of your faults and all of your flaws and all of your failures and you can nail them there and leave them there and find complete victory and forgiveness in this life. And I'm gonna say something, and again, I want you to please hear me. Thank God for the senators. Thank God for the congressmen. Thank God for the mayors. Thank God for the governors. Thank God for all of the people in the government. But you think about all the laws that we passed and all the resolutions that have gone through and all the things that we've tried to do. And in some ways, we're in a bigger mess than we've ever been in our life. And I'm just being honest with you. The reason for that's very simple because the end game solution to our biggest problems is at the foot of that cross right there. They're not going to solve our problem up there because they got problems they can't solve because the biggest problem any nation will always have, it is a problem of the heart. And the only solution is found in the cross of Jesus. And Paul said, because of the cross, we can overcome the flaws of this world. We can overcome the power of sin. We can overcome the trap of, of temptation. We can resist the attacks of the devil himself. That's why the second half of our mission statement is this. We want to inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. That's why we say that. I want people to come to the cross and meet Jesus. And then when they come to the cross, I want them to understand the world just died to you. You just died to the world. Now let's live the cross-shaped life. Because I want you to think about these three questions because this really summarizes my message. I've tried to answer all three of them. Number one, so who died on that cross? I told you that. Why did he die on that cross? I told you that. What has the cross done and what does the cross do for me? I told you that. So that's why we put the cross front and center. Because see, this is the strange thing about the cross. The cross both kills life, but it gives life. So what do you mean? Well, here's what the cross does. It kills the joy of sin. It kills the thrill of temptation. It kills the pleasure of doing what's wrong. But at the same time, it gives life to the desire to be holy, to the desire to be godly, to the desire to be righteous. And that's why I want you to understand this. This is true about you. It's true about your neighbors. It's true about your kinfolks. It's true about every people you live with. It's true about the people you work with. It's true about everybody you ever contact with. This is the dividing line of the entire world. You are on one side of the cross or the other. It is the dividing line between true followers of Jesus and the rest of the world. Mahatma Gandhi, the great Indian leader in his autobiography, here's what he said. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher. His death on the cross was a great example to the world. But that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. i tell you this. He's accepted it now. Too late. Because the cross is front and center. Listen. The cross is front and center for those who come to it and those who don't. For those who come to it, it gives eternal life. For those who don't, it gives eternal death. And that leads me to say this. 
Next Sunday is fan day at our church. And I want us to have a good time. I really, I, we want to make it a good time. We're going to have a lot of fun. And we're telling you, you know, I'm, I'm serious. Bring, wear your football jerseys of your favorite fan, whatever your favorite team is. Wear, you know, wear whatever you want to wear that, you know, if you're, and this is, we're going to give grace to everybody. Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, it's one Sunday, everybody's going to get grace, all right? It's fan day. It's not Georgia day, it's fan day, all right? So if you want to come dressed like a heathen, we're going to give you the right to do that. <clears throat> so I really, I want us to have fun. David Pollock is coming. I've known Dave since he was uh, in Georgia. He and I have been big buddies for a long time. As you know, he's on ESPN. And we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about football, but we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about faith and a lot of different things. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Fan day is not about football. It's not about Pollock. It's not about ESPN. It's a platform. It's about the cross. Because the cross that you sitting, see sitting on this stage right now, it's not just a symbol. It's not just a backdrop for our worship. This cross is the one and only path to eternal life for everyone in this room, for every one of your friends, for every one of your neighbors, for every one of your working associates, for every person you go to school with. That is the door to heaven. You can't bypass the cross to get to God. You go through the cross to get to God or you never get there at all. So again, you know what my question's about to be. Who's your what? One. Who's your one? Come on now, who do you know who needs an encounter with the cross? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you, if you don't mind, if you'll pull out this worship guide that you were given, everybody just pull this out for a minute. If you don't have one, make sure you get one. On the back of your worship card, I want you to do something for me right now. Everybody see this little, this little thing right here on the back of your worship card? There's a circle there. I want you to write down, right now, I want you to do this right now, do it right now. I want you to write down the name of the person you're gonna do two things for this coming week. You're gonna pray for and you're gonna to invite to come to fan day. I don't want it to be, well, my buddy or you know, somebody that goes to another church. No, I mean somebody that needs the cross. They need to come to the cross. I've got two different names of people I'm gonna invite. All right, I've already got one written down. Then, after you write this name down, okay, what I want you to do is this. <clears throat> there is a display that's out in the, uh, out in the foyer. It's, a, it's a, right next to my pastor's table out there. And it looks like a, you know, like a, like a football crowd, like a crowd at a football game. I want you to go and take this sticker off, peel the sticker off, and just put that. I want to, we want to cover that thing up. I want you to go out there and put your sticker on that display. And several times this week, I'm going to come by, and I'm just going to go over that, look at that slide. And we're going to be praying for that slide. We're going to be praying for people. We're going to be praying for these football players and for these coaches. This is a great opportunity for us to let these players and these coaches know, hey, we, we understand how big football is to you and how big football is to this, to this county and to this community, and we get that. We want them to understand there's something much, much bigger than football, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is one of those Sundays that most of the time people you invite, they're not interested, but they'll come to a fan day. They may not come in near me, they'll come here Pollock. So I want you to make sure that you do that, and, and, and before you leave, make sure you put a name down and put that out there on that stage. Let me close this, we'll be done. One of the greatest stories I've ever read. When George H.W. Bush, not the son, but the dad, when George H.W. Bush was the president of the United States, he's going to meet with Vladimir Putin. And before the meeting, he was reading up about, about Putin and trying to get to know a little bit about this man. And he read a book that had in it an interview uh, that the Russian president had given. And in that interview, 
Putin talked about his mother. And uh, evidently, his mother was a devout believer. She was a Christian. And his mother gave him a, a Christian cross that she had had blessed in Jerusalem. So when they met, Bush decided he would mention this to Putin. He would use this as a point of conversation. So here's how the conversation went. This is President Bush talking. I said to him, I found that story very, very interesting. You see, President Putin, I think you judge a person on something other than just politics. I think it's important for me and for you to look for the depth of a person's soul and character. Then I said, I was touched by the fact that your mother gave you the cross. Well, to his amazement, Putin then in turn told him a story. When his mother gave him that cross, he began to wear that cross around his neck. Well, one day he had put it down in a house where he was visiting and the house, and he forgot it, and the house had burned down. And Bush then recounts this part of the conversation. Putin said to me, the thing I was most worried about was I lost my cross that my mother had given to me. And about that time, a worker came up to me and I was going to tell that worker, would you please go try to find my cross? I lost my cross. But the worker walked up to me and put out his hand and he was holding that cross. He had found it in the house. Putin looked at Bush and said, you know, Mr. President, it was as if something was just meant for me to have that cross. And at that moment, President Bush felt that what Putin was basically saying was, there's gotta be a higher power. There's something else out there. And then to his credit, President Bush leaned forward, took him by the hand, looked him in the eye, and he said, President Putin, that's what it's all about. That's what this life is all about. That's what this world is all about. It is all about the story of the cross. And President Bush was so correct. The cross is what it's all about. It is, it was, and always should be front and center because the only hope for this world has been, is, and always will be what happened at the cross. Let's pray together.